0: Good morning, everybody, once again. You doing well today? That's an awesome yes, wonderful. (laughs) Are you doing well today? Very good. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out? And I want you to go to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10 and maybe 11 uh, this morning, we'll see. But we are returning to our sermon series uh, titled Acts the Unstoppable Church. And uh, we have been in this series because we're looking at, at the local church. We are in the church era, and we believe, as God's Word says, that nothing can stop the church. Amen. Thank <laughs> you. It doesn't matter what is thrown our way, it doesn't matter the persecution that comes our way, it doesn't matter what people say about the church. The Bible teaches us that the church is unstoppable. Say that with me, the church is unstoppable. And so we are coming back to that series because we have been, it's been three weeks since we have been in the book of Acts, and a lot of things have happened over the past three weeks. Let me just clue you in what's happened over the past three weeks. Since the in. Uh, my Texas Tech Red Raiders have won one game. <laughs> you may or may not have noticed this, but the Texas Rangers won the World Series. That's pretty good. Y'all are a pathetic bunch of crowd this morning. That's all I'm saying. But more importantly, is last week we had John Reed um, for Friend Day, and uh, we had almost 800 in worship, and here's the great news, 11 people made first-time decisions to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, amen? And so we're going to have baptisms again next week. And so be here and let's celebrate uh, those who made uh, decisions. And there were other decisions that were made as well. And I want to say to you as a church, um, thank you for inviting your friends. Thank you for praying for your friends. And don't just invite them on Friend Day. Invite them every Sunday. Amen. Because every Sunday is a Friend Day. And uh, bring them to church. Um, and uh, because let them experience uh, the the power of of the Holy Spirit. Let them experience Jesus. And just let them experience what what I think a church is supposed to be like, and that's us. I mean, we demonstrate what the church is to look like and what we're supposed to be. And I just want to tell you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so with that being said, let's get back into Acts, uh, the Unstoppable Church, Acts chapter 10. And I'm really excited about this, uh, the passage that I'm preaching on this morning for a couple of reasons. Um, In 2019, um, our church went to Israel. Um, That was our second time we'd been, and uh, we'd been planning to again, but something's going on in the Middle East right now, so we're going to choose caution right now. Uh, We're going to wait. We'll see what happens next, but in 2019, our last trip to Israel, um, we were able to go to, uh, go to the city of Joppa. Uh, Joppa, which is just uh, south of modern-day uh, Tel Aviv, and we were able to go there, and and what took place in Joppa, we're going to look at that in Acts chapter 10, that's the story of Cornelius and Peter's vision. You remember this story when Peter sees a vision of a, of a sheet that comes down from heaven and has all of these animals and reptiles in it, and God says, uh, what I say is clean, it is clean, and we were able to go to the house where Peter had this vision, I think I have a picture of it. That's a really big head right there, and uh, sorry, uh, but in the background over that uh, bald spot is it says House of Simon the Tanner, uh, which is where uh, Peter was when he had this vision. There is is a a better uh, picture of it. It doesn't look like much, but I'm telling you, when you go to these locations on site in Israel, it just it just brings more out. It's a powerful moment. Now. Do we really know if that was the exact house where Peter had his vision? Or according to our tour guide, absolutely. (laughs) So who knows? But we were there, and to hear the story of Peter and his vision, just quite a remarkable moment. Something else also took place in the city of Joppa in the Old Testament. Does anybody know? Anyone want to say his name? Jonah. Do you remember the story of Jonah? God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, and Jonah said, I don't think so. I'm gonna go to Joppa, and he gets on a boat, and well, we know the rest of of the story, but um, so I'm excited to be in this text, and let me give you the other reason why I'm excited about this text. It's because Acts chapter 10, this is an important chapter. This is an important chapter acts 10 and acts 11 through verse 18 this is probably in my opinion the most important chapter in the book of acts next to acts chapter 2 when we saw pentecost when the holy spirit came do you remember that Acts chapter 10, in my opinion, is the most important chapter here in the book of Acts. It is an extremely important chapter, even in uh, the Bible. And here's why it's important because what takes place in Acts chapter 10 is important to us who are known as Gentiles. Now, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is simply this. You ready? It's pretty, pretty amazing what the definition is of a Gentile, you ready? You're not a Jew, that's all it means. It means not a Jew, you are from other nations." That's what it means. So, whenever you read scripture and you read about how the gospel is to go to all the nations, I mean, that's referencing Gentile people. And so, I'm assuming an overwhelming majority of you in this room of Gentiles, I know that some may have some Jewish heritage in you to which we say, praise be to God. I want to let you know that Jesus is the Messiah. But to Gentiles, this is our story. If you were to trace back all of our spiritual heritage, just coming back to right here to Acts chapter 10. Are you saying, Pastor, that God did not work in the lives of Gentiles before this? No, that's not what I'm saying. From the beginning, God has wanted to save all mankind. Amen. But right here, God shows Peter, and he's gonna show you and I today, that the gospel is not only to be thought of in Jewish terms. Now, we know from Genesis chapter 12 that God uh, created a people for himself um, through a man by the name of Abraham. And God told Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, meaning ultimately that my name, my seed is going to come through you. Come through you, Abraham, and you're going to be the father of many nations. That's why I said to believers that we worship the God of Abraham Isaac, and Jacob, you need to know that. That's a major, um, you need to understand because there are other religions who do not believe that. We do. We follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, in Genesis chapter 12, we learn that God creates this people that ultimately become known as the Israelites, the Jewish people, and it is through the Jewish people that the Messiah comes, and that God was going to use the Jewish people to tell the world about Jesus. Well, let me ask you a question, and don't be too angry about this. How well did the Jewish people do? They didn't do so well. They actually struggled. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament tells us their story. It tells us how they rejected uh, God. They rejected His law. They rejected Him time and time and time and time again. And you get into the New Testament, who ultimately is responsible for taking Jesus to the cross? Yeah, it's kind of nerve-wracking to say that out loud, isn't it? It's the Jews, now, does that mean that we are to be antagonistic to the Jewish people? Of course not. I read a stat just this past week that said this. In America, uh, it is, the population of Jewish Americans is around 2% in the United States, but 51% of the crimes committed in the United States occur against the Jews. Do you think that's a coincidence? No, it is not. It is not a coincidence, because the enemy, whose name is Satan, Lucifer, Lucifer the snake, the serpent, from Genesis chapter 3, he is out to get God's chosen people. And we need to understand about Satan, Satan is not omnipotent. Are you with me? He's not omnipresent. He doesn't know everything. So he goes after Jewish people. And he tries to get after them. And he will allow people to persecute them. He will allow ultimately in uh, the end times where nations will turn against the state of Israel. Do we see that happening now? We do. Is this all part of God's plan? Absolutely it is. So when we come to Genesis chapter 10, this is a big deal. Because what we see here. From Acts 10 on, uh, through the rest of the New Testament, and really even until Jesus returns and set up his millennial reign, until then, from here on, we live in what's called the church era, which means God is using the church. He has taken Israel, say this is Israel, let me take a drink. Let's say this is Israel, and for a moment this is what God has done. He has set them to the side. And in the place, it's the church, the local church, the universal church, Gentiles. And what God is doing with Israel, you read the rest of the New Testament, here's what Scripture says, that the reason, one of the reasons the gospel came to us, yes of course for salvation, but also so that the Gentiles who know Jesus will actually make Israel jealous. That's what the Bible says. That we, who have Jesus the Messiah, who have eternal life, and who live according to God's word, we have this, and part of our responsibility is to make Israel jealous, meaning that they would want the Messiah. That's the era that we live in. And it all takes place right here in Acts chapter 10. Well, that's a lot, isn't it? You want some more? Let's give you some more. But this is our story. And again, from this point on, you're gonna see something else take place that I wanna highlight real quick. Is up to Acts chapter 10, a major player in the church has been a man by the name of Peter. We are gonna hear a story of Peter, but after Acts chapter 10, somebody else shows up on the scene. What's his name? It's Paul. So we see a transition. We see a transition from reaching the Jewish people we're now going to go reach the Gentiles. This is where the gospel comes to us. Isn't this exciting? Well, let's look at this. Acts chapter 10, and I've titled uh, today's message, Learning to See Others as God Does. Learning to see others as God does. Well, let's pick up our story beginning in verse number one. Follow along in your copy of God's word, and it reads, Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. He gave many alms to the Jewish people, and he prayed to God continually. Verse 3, And about the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. according to Daylight Savings Time. (laughs) How many of you like the extra hour today, huh? About the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. of the day, he, Cornelius, clearly saw a vision. He saw an angel of God who just came in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, meaning this, Cornelius, God has heard you. God sees what you do, and I'm here to tell you that. In verse 5, he says, Now, dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. Now, I love what verse 6 says, because the angel says, And I'm going to tell you where you can find Peter. You go find him. Here's where he's located. He's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had left... He summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Here's the first thing I want you to write down this morning when it comes to learning to see others as God does. The first thing is this, learning to see others as God does begins by focusing on the heart of God. When it comes to the Gentiles, we're seeing a transition from the Jews to the Gentiles. And here's what you need to understand, the Jews did not like the Gentiles. And guess what, the Gentiles didn't like the Jews either. But in order for you and I to see others as God does, we have to focus on what is in in the heart of God. And here in chapter 10 we see that God focuses in on a one man by the name of Cornelius. Now we know that God desires all men to be saved, isn't that right? He says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. So whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. God desires all people to be saved. He desires Jews. He desires Gentiles. But right here, he is focusing on a man by the name of Cornelius. Now, let's zero in on this guy. Let's find out what Cornelius is like, and let's find out what the heart of God is. Here's a couple things we learned about Cornelius very quickly. First of all, Cornelius, he is a man of courage. In verse 1, it says that he is a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. Now, what in the world does that mean? In Caesarea, um, which was the home of the Roman governor— and the Italian cohort was designed to protect the governor. And so there were about 600 soldiers stationed in Caesarea. And these 600 soldiers were broken up into groups of 100. Each group had a centurion that ruled over them, and one of the centurion's names just happens to be Cornelius. Now here's what you need to know about Cornelius and about being a centurion. Two things a centurion had to do. Number one, he had to stand fast in opposition. He had to stand up to any revolt. He had to stand up to anybody who was causing conflict with Rome. That's what he had to do. And number two, he had to be willing to die. Cornelius was a man of courage. He was willing to go the ultimate mile by even giving his life. Uh, James Garfield. Anybody know that name, James Garfield? Think about U.S. history. Anybody know? What about James Garfield? What was he? He was a president of the United States. He was the 20th president of the United States. Do you know something else about James Garfield? He was also an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't hear that in our public books, do you? story goes of James Garfield, that one time he was preaching a revival, and after the revival, the altar was flooded, and he personally baptized 31 individuals because they believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So much for the separation of church and state, amen? But James Garfield, listen to what it says, James Garfield said this about courage. He says this, if there's one thing upon earth that mankind loves and admires better than another, it is a brave man. A man who dares to look the devil in the face and tell him he is the devil. That's pretty good. This is Cornelius. He has courage. He leads men and he's willing to die for the sake of his country and for his men. Now here's what else we see about Cornelius. Not only is he a man of courage, he's also a man of character. Look at verse number two. It says this, he was a devout man who feared God. Now that word, that phrase feared God in Scripture is always used for a Gentile. Are y'all with me this morning? Y'all with me this morning? (laughs) Anytime you see the word feared God or God fear, it always relates back to a Gentile. Here's Cornelius, a Gentile, who is following the Jewish law. He studies God's word. He obeys what the Jewish law says, which means he's a man of integrity. He has moral uprightness. He has strong character. He's a good man. He's courageous. He's got godly character. Um, The next, the end of uh, verse number two says he's a man of compassion as he gives alms to the Jewish people, meaning he's a good man. You look at him and say, this is who you want to be like. This is Cornelius. It says at the end of verse 2 that he also prayed to God continually, which means Cornelius was in constant communication with the Father. This man is a good man. Later on in the text, it says that he even took care of his family. If there was a man, and men, I want you to listen to this, men, look up here, men. If there was a man who you would want to follow in that day, it was Cornelius. He was strong. He was a man's man. He loved his family. He took care of his family. He loved, he loved God's Word because he studied the Jewish law. He was a man of compassion. He was a man of conviction. But listen to me, men, something was missing in Cornelius' life. Something's missing. He has everything the world could offer, but something's missing in his life. You know what it is? It's Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus. Well, pastor, I thought you said he's obeying the Jewish law. He's obeying the Old Testament. He is, but he doesn't know Jesus. But I guarantee you men in that day would have looked up at Cornelius and said, man, when I grow up, I want to be just like him. And if you followed him, you would be dead wrong. You know why? Because he didn't know Jesus. Men, I want you to look at me. Men, you can have everything in this world. You can have everything in this world that money can offer, all the thrills that this world can offer. But men, listen to me. Men, If you don't know Jesus, you've lost everything. Stats continually say, men, stats continually say if the man, the husband, the dad, if and when he comes to Jesus and he commits to the local church the percentage chance of your family coming to Jesus skyrockets. You, men, and stats will say this to ladies. Now, ladies, this, I'm not here to hurt your feelings, <laughs> but the stats will say this, ladies, you can come to Jesus, and you can be committed to the local church, and it doesn't make too much of a difference regarding your family. If this is your first time at First Baptist Church and you're a woman, <laughs> please come back. But do you get my points? Do you get my point? Men, you can have everything in the world. And if you don't have Jesus, you've lost everything. And what we see here in in, in Acts chapter 10 is that God zeroes in on a man who is a good man that the world looks up to, that the family looks up to, and he zeroes in on him, and God says to Cornelius, I've got something in store for you, but it begins by you recognizing your need for Jesus. If we want to see Others, as God does, we must see others who stand in need of Jesus. If we want the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, as, as Acts 1-8 says, as Matthew chapter 28 says, then we must see others who need Jesus. They need Jesus. Well, write this down. Here's a second thing. Learning to see others as God does requires us to join God where he is working. I want you to look at verse number nine because in verses one through eight, God is working in the life of Cornelius. Not many people know about it just yet, but God's working in the life of Cornelius and now God is going to show somebody where he's working and he's going to ask this somebody to go join him where he's working. Look at verse number nine. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop where with reindeers, paws, out jumps good old Santa Claus. I think that's where that verse comes from right there. He went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. It's lunchtime. He became hungry. He was desiring to eat, but while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance which means is that he was, he was in the spirit. That's what it means, okay? And he saw the sky opened up. Now stop there for a second. Does anybody's Bible have a star next to, next to where it says um, he saw? Does anybody's Bible have a star? Let me see your hands go up if you have a star next to the word saw. Okay, so what that means is there's a star in some translations because it's letting you know that in the original Greek, it was a historical present, which means that in Greek, historical present means the sky lit up. But that doesn't translate in our English so he makes it into a past tense for us. So whenever you see the star next to a verb in your Bible, it just means this, something massive just happened. So the reader would know it. So when you see the star, it's, it's almost like the word—we'll see this in the Scripture here in a few moments—it's almost like the word, behold. It's you pay attention right here because something massive and mighty is happening. In verse 11, it says, And he saw the sky open up, and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four footed animals, and crawling creatures of the earth, and birds of the air. And a voice came to Peter and said, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. But what does Peter say? I ain't touching it. (laughs) Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Uh -uh. I'm not not doing it. I'm not doing it, Lord. I've I've, uh -uh. I've never done this kind of thing before. Nope, not doing it. And look at verse 14. um, Excuse me, verse, verse 15. And again, the voice came to him a second time and said, listen, Peter, listen to me. What God has cleansed, no longer consider it unholy this happened three times again whenever you see something in scripture that happens not once not twice but three times it means wake up and pay attention because something important is happening three times God told him to do something what does Peter say he says no He says, no. He says, I'm not going to do it, Lord. Let's just take a step back from here for just a moment. In verses 1 through 9, we see that God was working in the life of Cornelius. In verses 9 through 16, we see that God is now working in the life of Peter. Because God sees something in Peter that needs to be removed. You know what it is? You ready for this? prejudice. Peter thinks he's better than somebody else. Hmm. Meaning Peter looks down upon a group of people because Peter thinks he's better. Can that happen? Just this yesterday, we were at, um, in Carrollton for a state cross country meeting. Avery and I, we were walking around and um, she and I were talking. We did a little uh, people watching. Anybody ever do that? It's always fun. If you're ever bored, just go people watch. And at one point, we began to say, and we just began to say, look at that person. And here's what we would say Boy, they look cocky, don't they? can you tell that sometimes in people and you go man they just they think they are better than other people well guess what that's peter and god has to do something to peter to change his view and what does god do god gives him a vision he gives him that vision. The sheet comes down. It's like a sheet that comes down. And all of these four-legged uh, uh, animals are on uh, this sheet. And all different kinds of, of animals are on the sheet. I, I, I liken, I liken what, what Peter sees. I think it's a, a menu from Southern Soul or Gary Lee's Barbecue is kind of what I, <laughs> is, is what I see coming down. Because why? Jews had strict uh, dietary laws, Right? which means they, they don't eat good stuff. <laughs> Bacon. <laughs> Sweet, wild Georgia shrimp. That's not on their menu, but here's this menu, and it says, all you can eat pulled pork, all you can eat shrimp. And Peter sees this. And Peter said, no, I'm not doing it. I don't do those types of things. And God says, Peter, Peter, what I say is clean, you don't say it's unclean or it's unholy. Now, was this vision really about the things that Peter was to eat? No, it wasn't. The vision was about people groups. The vision was about Jews and Gentiles because up to this moment, again, we've already talked about this, but up to this moment, the Jews despised the Gentiles. There were laws in the Jewish Uh, religion, if you will, or what's called the Mishnah, which rabbis would interpret scriptures and they would add to scriptures, there were laws for Jews, listen, to never enter into a Gentile's home. There are other laws that said this, that a Jew was to never drink milk from a cow that had been milked by a Gentile. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, and the Jews thought they were better than other people. And God says, Peter, stop. I've come so that all men would come to know my son as the Messiah. And what does Peter say? What does he say? He says, no, I'm not going to do it. Now look what Peter says. Look with me in verse number. Um, look in verse number 14. Are y'all with me? Look at verse 14. Look at what Peter says. He's got this great vision. It's not about the food. It's about people. And this is what this is what he says. God says, go, go kill, eat. And, and Peter's like, look what it says in verse 14. By no means, what does it say next? Lord. He says, No way, Lord. The question if Jesus is Lord, can you say no to him? If he's Lord, what's your answer to him? Yes. Listen, Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe, whether you are under his lordship or not. He's Lord. He's Lord of all. Whether you allow Him to have ownership of your life, that doesn't determine whether or not Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. But when you surrender to His Lordship, what answer should not come from your mouth? No. Our answer should always be, yes, Lord, here I am. I will do what you want me to do. And here's what I know, church. Here's what I know. Many of us in this room, we can go up and down, all across the roads, all across the aisles, and every single one of us can say something similar. I remember when Jesus called me and I said no. Do you know why many of you have said no? Because you're struggling in your lives. Are you with me? Are you with me? Yes. Many of us are not where we need to be because you say no to the Lord. We're all guilty. Well, Pastor, I, I, just don't, I just don't understand what's, what's going on. I, I'm kinda stuck in my life. Are you saying no to the Lord, are you saying yes to the Lord? Well, Pastor, I, I, I just really, you, 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 you don't understand what He's asking me to do. I may not understand what He's asking you to do, but I know what He's asked me to do. And there's been times in my life where I have said no, and I've regretted every single one of those moments. But, I've never regretted the ones where I said yes. Every time I said yes to the Lord, every time you've said yes to the Lord, it's just like we sang this morning, He will never let you down. He will never fail you. He sees you through. He walks with you. Well, Pastor, man, I'm going through a hard time. You are, but say yes to Jesus. It's worth it to say yes to Jesus. Well, I am so far off my notes right now. (laughs) I don't even know the title of my message anymore. (laughs) If there's one thing that I could just pound into your heart, into your mind, into your soul, into your spirit today would be this. If God tells you to do something and it doesn't make sense to you, you do it anyways. It will change your life. Will it save my relationships? I don't know. I I don't know. Is God able? Absolutely. But even when things fail, you still trust. Even when you don't know, you still trust. Even when you don't understand, you trust. Pastor, he's he's asking me to do something that is absolutely ridiculous, it's crazy. Say yes. Say yes. Don't be like Peter right here at this point in the story. Now here's a good thing about the story, Peter doesn't stay here. He doesn't stay here. He he ultimately says yes. But look at verse 14 again. Look at what Peter says. He says, by no means, Lord. He says no. And look at his reason why he didn't want to do it. He said this, for I have never done such a thing. There's an author by the name of uh, Ralph Naber. He wrote about 40 books on church leadership. And one of the books he wrote was titled this, The Seven Last Words of the Church. You know what the seven words, last words of the church are according to Ralph Naber? And you actually get it from verse number 14. It's this, we've never done it that way before. <laughs> right? Is it hard to do something that you're not used to? Yeah. Is it hard when things are different? Is different wrong? No. Now, obviously, if it's against God's word, yes. I can see somebody going, well, maybe. No. Doing things different isn't wrong necessarily. You know this church Our message never changes. The gospel of Jesus Christ never changes. But sometimes we do have to do things different, right? Sometimes we do. I'm a creature of habit. I like things the same. Change is hard for me. It is. But sometimes God calls us to come out of our comfort zone And today he may be calling you to do something that you don't want to do. And maybe within context of our text, and maybe it means this, that you need to reach out to somebody that you don't like. Are you with me? Just maybe, just maybe, you need to walk across the room and go be the gospel to somebody. Several years ago, y'all, it's 1136, and I'm closing my Bible. I feel pretty, I need to preach longer. (laughs) Several years ago, something happened to me that that, that bothered me, and I've told this story in the church, um, and it's a, funny story but it's an indictment on me because all i wanted to eat was a bean burrito from taco bell that's it um i went through the drive-thru it was a long line i waited patiently finally it was my turn to order some of you know the story i pull up to the speaker nothing silence awkward silence you know what i'm talking about You don't know what to say. Do you say anything? I don't know what to do. Well, I spoke. I said, hello. (laughs) And the voice on the other end of the speaker said this, I'm waiting on you. (laughs) Uh, And in my mind I was like, "Uh, no you didn't. (laughs) You know. Anyway, it's the order, order. And funny story, but man, can I be honest with you? This bothered me for a long time. <laughs> that I would get so angry at that. Are, are you with me? And I would think of that ever so often, and I thought, man, I'm so much better than that Taco Bell person. <laughs> I'm just so much better than they are. A couple of weeks ago, um, I think Avery uh, and I were getting. Uh, something to eat at, at a, another famous fast food restaurant called McDonald's. Ugh. And uh, I think it was Avery, I think, or it might have been my other daughter. I don't remember. But, uh, <laughs> but our order was taking a long time. People had ordered after us. They were getting their order before we did. That's just completely unacceptable right so i walk up to the line i was like avery stay back daddy's going to take care of this <laughs> i walk up to the, the to the desk of the cash register and i'm waiting in line i get there i'm sitting there they're doing some things behind the the, the, the counter i'm just sitting there silence awkward silence i said excuse me and then the lady said something that I've heard before in the same voice, in the same tone. She said, I'm waiting on you. <laughs> my eyes got this big. I was like, It's you! It's you. For five years, it's you! It's you! I didn't do that, but that's in my mind. But no joke, I turn around to Avery and I said, It's her! I, it's her! It's her! I'm not making this up. Well, anyways, um, we, 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 we get our food and, um, you know, don't you love it when the Lord just pricks your heart at the right moments? And he said, quit looking down upon her. You quit looking down upon her. You are no better than her. Do you know why you're no better than anybody else? By the way, at First Baptist Church, we're not into self-help. We're not in here to make you feel better about yourself. I'm just going to be honest with you. (laughs) Okay? Do you know why you're no better than anybody else? Because all of us are created in the image of God. Every one of us has the same value, and we're all equal. All of us have different skill sets. All of us have different... Giftings, some of us are smarter, some of us are. (laughs) But that doesn't make you better because we all are sinners in need of grace. So, who in your life is the I'm waiting on you person? Whom God has said, you go be the gospel to them. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, it pains my own heart to confess to you that so many times I think I'm better than other people. Father in a group this size I I, I don't think I'm the only one who thinks that oh God forgive us forgive us for being unwilling to for being unwilling to go the extra mile, to go the extra step, to, to do things that tradition says don't do, but that we would go and, and just reach out to those who desperately need the gospel. Father, you came to us in our deepest need and you shared the gospel with us through somebody and we gave our lives to you. Father, may we in return be so willing to say yes to you, to go to those who need you, to go to those who who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who who Father, just sometimes we we just don't get along with, but Father, may we go to them. Father, thank you. I pray that what you have heard from us today, that you would that you would be pleased. And I pray today that our answer to you is yes. In Jesus' name we pray.